Christianity excludes any kind of boasting. Where then is boasting? It's excluded. By what kind of law of works? No, but by a law of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. If indeed God is one, he'll justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. There is no room for any boasting. And Jew, Gentile alike, when you come to Christ, you say, it's not me. All I had to offer him was sin. And you rejoice in the God of salvation. And you're glad to give praise and thanks, not to anyone or anything except him. Welcome to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue on our study of the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings part three of the message titled, Do Not Be Arrogant. We invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. Turn to Romans chapter 11, the 11th chapter of Romans. In this whole section, chapters 9 through 11, as we've been moving through Romans, why God is uh, dealing with the question of Israel. Paul has uh, directed our minds to God's faithfulness to Israel and uh, His dealings with Israel in the past and in the present, and yes, even into the future. And so it's an intensely interesting section. And in this particular section, and we're in chapter 11, verse 16 through 24, there's two things we don't want to miss. In fact, two things we won't miss if we read uh, it carefully and listen carefully to what is being said. We'll see God's character and we'll see man's tendency to sin. Man's character, really. God's character and man's character. First of all, God's character. God is faithful. God can be depend upon, dependent upon. He is faithful to His Word. He's faithful to His promises. He's faithful to His very character. Behold then the kindness and severity of God, He says in verse 22. You can depend on it. Uh, God is faithful. And He will act according to His nature. In fact, in times of trouble... His faithfulness is such a stay, it's such, a, such an anchor for us. And in times of trouble for Israel nationally, and I'll tell you what, nationally, Israel's in trouble right now, has been, uh, for many, many centuries. And it's so good to remember that God is faithful. And in other times of trouble, Jeremiah lamented in a time of low uh, sorrow, in Israel's history, and he lamented his own sorrow and loss, and yet he said, great is thy faithfulness. He reminded himself, and he rejoiced in the faithfulness of God. And, you know, over in Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. You see, God's faithfulness, His changelessness, His immutability, the theologians refer to it as. He does not change. Hence, Jacob, Israel, is not consumed. I mean, if Israel got what they deserved, if any of us got what we deserved, but God has in grace promised 
to bring salvation through Abraham, and he has, and he's applying that through history. And so this is a very valuable section for us to look at. And uh, you can depend on God. Man, on the other hand, you can depend on man too. Man has a, uh, a tendency, just a propensity, Jew or Gentile alike, towards sin, and particularly the sin of pride and self-righteousness and arrogance. And whether you're looking at a Jew or a Gentile, you will see that we have a tendency to pride. Now, look at Israel. In fact, look back at chapter 9 just for a second. Let me, uh, just by way of review almost, uh, glance at what Israel had done in pride and unbelief. Verse 31 of chapter 9, Israel, pursuing a law of righteousness, did not arrive at that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as though it were by works, they stumbled over the stumbling stone. And God says at the end of chapter 10, all day long I've had my arms stretched out to a disobedient and obstinate people. We saw last week that pride led to stubborn unbelief, and unbelief inevitably leads to hardness. And uh, that's what happened with Israel. Does that mean that God is done with Israel? No. May it never be, he answers in chapter 11. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. He still has a purpose for Israel. Now, the Gentiles, on the other hand, look at verse 30 of chapter 9. What shall we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attained righteousness, even the righteousness which is by faith. Gentiles have been finding Christ throughout this whole era, and they were in Paul's day. By and large, the gospel was bearing fruit among the Gentiles. And, you know, the Gentile nations, you think about most of us and our background and our history, it wasn't a matter of groping around in the darkness looking for God and seeking Him. It was the opposite, fleeing from God and creating gods of our own imaginations and and uh, worshiping and serving the creature rather than the creator. And yet God in His grace was reaching the gospel out to Gentiles, and they were responding by faith and being saved. Does that mean God is done with Israel? No, He answers once again. Does that mean there should be any room for Gentile pride? And sadly, that has happened throughout history. Is there any room for it? No. Don't be arrogant, he says in chapter 11, speaking to Gentiles as a whole. By the way, it's kind of interesting to see he's already addressed this personally, and now he addresses it in a bigger scope, more national scope. But look back at chapter 3. Look back at chapter 3. Remember when he addressed this personally, he says, listen, God is the God of righteousness. He saves Jew and Gentile alike, and there is no room for any boasting among individuals. And every Christian... If you know Christ as your Savior, you will assent to what he says here. If you don't know Christ, I'm glad you're here, and I hope you'll listen carefully. But listen to what he says here in chapter 3, when we were there, verse 27. Where then is boasting? It's excluded. You see, Christianity excludes any kind of boasting. Where then is boasting? It's excluded. By what kind of law? Of works? No. No. 
but by a law of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. If indeed God is one, he'll justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. There is no room for any boasting. And Jew, Gentile alike, when you come to Christ, you say, it's not me. All I had to offer him was sin. And you rejoice in the God of salvation. And you're glad to give praise and thanks, not to anyone or anything except him. It's nothing that I did. There's no room for any kind of boasting. All the glory goes to God. Now, he says that again up here in chapter 11. And as we look at it, I want to just remind you that in the first 10, 12 verses there, well, the first 10 verses, he says, you know, that Israel's unbelief and rejection was not total. You know, he himself was a Jew. Uh, there was a remnant of believing Jews, but most had turned aside into unbelief and been hardened. So much so that even verse 9, their table became a snare and a trap to them. The very privileges they gloried in became further a further condemnation. And it's a warning to us, by the way, I think. You know, uh, Israel gloried in their feasts and their laws and their privileges, and those things became a snare to them. Why, certainly, there are many today who glory in communion or baptism or the privileges or the rituals of Christianity and don't see the reality behind, uh, for instance, the table today. We don't look to the table itself or the emblems themselves. We look to the reality behind these things. But then I want to just read, starting at verse 11, and then we'll pick it up where, where we're going to be this morning. I say then, they did not stumble so as to fall, did they? Is God done with Israel? May it never be. But by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. Now, if their transgression be riches for the world and their failure be riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fulfillment be? You see, we looked at it last time. If God can use Israel's failure, how much more will he use Israel's obedience, Israel's belief when once again they turn to him nationally. And he says the same thing in verse 15. If their rejection be the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? Think about that. If God can reconcile the world and did through Jesus Christ at the cross... Through Israel saying, crucify him, crucify him, Paul says, just think what it will be when they turn to him. And the Bible answers, it will be tremendous. You see, you look back at the first coming, and Israel, by and large, turned away and said, we don't want him. We have no king but Caesar. And God, in his sovereignty and providential purposes, he used that for the reconciliation of the world. And Paul asks, what? What will be the result when Israel turns to their Savior? What will be the blessing? And the Bible basically answers 
The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord. Isaiah 11, verse 9. The wolf will lay down with the lamb, verse 6 of that same prophecy. It will be unprecedented blessing. The whole creation is groaning, chapter 8 of Romans says, awaiting that day, the revealing of the sons of God, when Israel, Zechariah says, will look on him whom they have pierced. And they will see, and God will put upon them not a spirit of stupor like we saw here in unbelief, but he will give them a spirit of grace and supplication, and they will cry out to the one that is their Savior. What a blessing that will be on the whole earth. And it will be a wonderful day indeed. And in fact, he uses uh, language, look at verse 15, life from the dead. Uh, The earth is awaiting that day when Israel turns to him. Now he says, verse 16, If the first piece of dough be holy, the lump is also. And if the root be holy, the branches are too. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, being a wild olive, were grafted in among them and became partaker with them of the rich root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. But if you are arrogant, remember that it is not you who supports the root, but the root supports you. Now, he uses a couple of pictures here, a couple of analogies. The first one, if the first piece of dough be holy, the lump is also, he says. Then he says, if the root is holy, so will be the branch. Now, the first piece of dough be holy, what's he getting at here? Well, I think both analogies are saying the same thing, obviously. And he's saying, look, if God has a righteous remnant, then he will save the nation. Some take it as remnant, others take it, and I think I would lean toward this as the patriarchal blessing and the salvation of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If God has this righteous, uh, you know, the first piece of dough is holy, then the whole lump will be. If the root is holy, so will the branch be. And he glances back either to the remnant or to the patriarchs, and either one he's teaching the same thing, and really they are saying the same thing, because God has a people, he has a remnant, and he chose Abraham out, and he chose Paul out, and others in the remnant today, and it's a picture that he's going to finish what he started, and he will accomplish what he promised to Abraham and the patriarchs. Now, if you go back in Israel's history, and I think, uh, turn over to Numbers 15, because we might kind of, it's a little strange to our ears. What's this, you know, what's this lump and of dough and that sort of thing? But uh, Numbers 15, when Moses was bringing the people through the wilderness, verse 17, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, when you enter the land where I bring you, Then it shall be that when you eat of the food of the land, you shall lift up an offering to the Lord. Of the first of your dough, you shall lift up as a cake an offering. As the offering of the threshing floor, so you shall lift it up. When you get into the land, what I want you to do is the first food you have, the first crop, I want you to lift it up to the Lord. And it will be like a down payment, so to speak. It will be a picture that everything is his. And so Paul picks up on this and says, listen, if the first piece of dough be holy, then the whole lump will be. And you know, it's uh, instructive to look back uh, at Israel's feasts because... You know, they, they tended to glory in the feasts, as I said, rather than the reality. But there were three great feasts in Israel's calendar year. God-given. Three times when every male was to come before the Lord. 
Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Uh, this time, the fe- Feast of Firstfruits. And then at the end of the harvest, uh, the Feast of Booze or Ingathering. And it seems to me that all three were teaching the same basic truth. And it was to be an annual reminder to Israel. And it's great for us to stop and think about it today. Because he brings up this first fruits principle, and that's one of the three. Now, Passover was to teach Israel and to remind Israel that they were the Lord's. He redeemed them out of Egypt with His blood, the blood over the doorpost and the passing over of the angel of death. And He said, you're mine, Israel. And you know, by the same token today, we're our, we're not our own. We've been bought with a price. Uh, you're not your own, the Scripture says to us. Jesus Christ shed His blood for us. And every time we come around the table, we're reminded of that. Then the first fruits. When they first had a little bit of produce, they were to offer it up to the Lord as a picture, not now that they were the Lord's, but that the crop was His. Everything is His. So He says, you're mine, the crops are mine. And this is central, I believe, to healthy Christian living today. It was certainly central to an Israelite's life. Look over at Proverbs 3. Just glance there. I mean, this is very, very familiar text. And, uh, you know, we had uh, our seniors at our graduation. Some of them picked, uh, well, they all picked their favorite text in the Scripture, and some picked this text, and it's actually the the motto for our school, and it is such a familiar and tremendous statement of the Christian life. Proverbs 3, verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He'll make your paths straight. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. The first fruits, that feast, was to teach something. Trust in the Lord with everything. Don't lean on your own sufficiency. The crop is His. We're dependent on Him for our daily bread. And so they were to take the first fruits and put it at His disposal as a picture that the whole crop was His. And I'll tell you today, Trust in the Lord. Don't lean on your own understanding. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the very first of your produce. So that, verse 10, your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. You know, one reason many Christians struggle in life is because they fail to put things at His disposal. Financially even. Oh, let me encourage you to... Honor the Lord with the first fruits. Make Him the top priority of your life and watch what God will do. You see, it's all His anyway. And we're to devote ourselves to Him. That was the first fruits. And then the Feast of Booze, the final ingathering. At the end of the harvest, they were to come in celebration in the Feast of Booths. You remember they were to build these little booths and they were actually a reminder that they used to have to live out in the wilderness and the land of bounty and plenty was from God, but they used to live out in the wilderness. And as I said, Zechariah speaks of the fulfillment of this. All these things were not an end in themselves. 
they were all to look ahead to Christ and what he's done for us. And so in Zechariah, we're told in chapter 12 that when they look on him whom they have pierced, they will see who he really is, and there will be a national turning to him. And listen to the words of Zechariah with think of these feasts and have them in your mind. Uh, the Lord will be king over all the earth. In that day, the Lord will be the only one and his name the only one. And the people will live in it and there will be no more curse. For Jerusalem will dwell in security. Then it will come about that any who are left of all the nations that went against Israel will go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to celebrate the feast of booths. And in that day, listen to how he closes his whole prophecy. In that day, there will be inscribed on the bells of the horses, holy to the Lord. And the cooking pots in the Lord's house will be like the bowls before the altar. There won't be just certain utensils that will be sacred to the Lord, those before the altar, even the cooking pots in the Lord's house. In fact, he says the next verse, every cooking pot in Jerusalem and in Judah will be holy to the Lord of hosts. That final feast, the Feast of Booths, in Israel's annual three feasts, was to teach not only that Israel was the Lord's, not only that the crop was the Lord's, like the first fruits, but finally at harvest time, the ingathering, everything is the Lord's. The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the psalmist says, Psalm 24, when he's thinking about that time when the king returns. And Paul brings all this to mind when he says, listen, if the first piece of dough be holy, the whole lump is. And he says, think about it. And so it's good for us to think about it. Now look at Romans 11 and watch how he develops this. He moves from that analogy, verse 16, to saying, if the root be holy, the branches are too. He's saying the same thing. Just as, just as God saved the root, Abraham and the patriarchs and gave the promise of salvation and as he had a remnant in Paul's day and as he does today, so he will save the whole branch. God's purpose of salvation for the whole branch of the nation Israel will be accomplished. Yes, today Israel is by and large in unbelief. And yes, today Gentile nations are where the gospel is bearing fruit. But look at verse 17. If some of the branches were broken off, and you being a wild olive were grafted in among them and became partaker with them of the rich root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. But if you are arrogant, remember that it is not you who supports the root, but the root supports you. Oh, what a warning to Gentiles today, to, to most of us, and to the Gentile world at large. Listen, yes, God has set aside Israel, but He's not done with Israel. And we're not the ones, we Gentile believers, we don't support the covenant of salvation through Abraham. It supports us. And we need to remember this. And He says, do not be arrogant. You've been listening to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, Do Not Be Arrogant, a message from our series in the Book of Romans. 
If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to downtownbible.org. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. We're thrilled to announce the publication of a new book written by Pastor Scott Gilchrist. It's called A Brief Exposition of Romans. It's a 266-page chapter-by-chapter commentary on Romans that we're sure will enhance your understanding of this critical book in the New Testament. The book is available online at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and most other online booksellers. But during our study of Romans, we'd like to send you a copy as a thank you for a gift of any amount to the ministry of Downtown Bible. You can find us online at downtownbible.org or by mail at P.O. Box 19191, Portland, Oregon, 97280. We'd love to put this valuable resource in your hands. Downtown Bible only remains on the air through the generous contributions of listeners like you. We'd like to ask you to prayerfully consider partnering with us on a regular basis to help us meet our day-to-day expenses. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. Romans 9, 10, and 11 are sweeping through history and telling of God's sovereign purposes. Have you noticed he always, his, his purposes are coincident with man's faith. God in his providential sovereignty, he does not work apart from faith. So verse 20, he says, yes, they were broken off. Why? For their unbelief. And you stand only by your faith. God works through faith. And you might even be here and say, I don't understand all this and Israel and this root and blessing and the lump of dough. Listen, no one thing. God responds to faith. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. And know something else. Unbelief always will be judged. Join us again next time as we continue our series through the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings the fourth and final part of the message titled, Do Not Be Arrogant. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. 